Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, this is Dave Hendon with the Snooker Scene Podcast. This week, something a little different. There's a new film out this week called Break. And as the title suggests, it is set in the snooker world. And I watched it last week. Now, I believe reviews are actually embargoed until the end of the week. So I'm not going to say what I think. But thankfully, we do have the writer and director, Michael Elkin, with us, who can tell us all about the film. Michael, firstly, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, David. Nice to talk to you. Okay, so... Before we get into the film, just tell us about your background, because I believe you're primarily an actor, but you've also obviously written and directed this film. That's correct. Yeah, I started in this industry quite late, about 27, 28 years of age. Um, after doing lots of different different jobs, to be honest with you, I was, uh, I've worked on building sites, labouring. I've, I've worked on the doors of casinos in central London. Um, I've also, I mean, I'm, I've, I'm a big fan of horse racing. So I did spend a couple of years um, just going up and down the country, putting bets on horses um, and sustained myself for a couple of years. Eventually, the money ran dry on that, as you'd probably imagine. <laughs> um, so I just tried like, as an actor, which is something I'd always wanted to do. Um, with mixed success, you know, I've appeared in a few films, a couple of soaps, EastEnders I was in a, a few times, but only, only minor, like an episode here and there. And then I'd always been a keen storyteller and started to write stories, which is how the, the, the thing with Break came. That was one of the first, probably not the first that I've written, uh, but yeah. it's the first that I've gone on to direct. Okay, so tell us about the film. Um, it's called Break. There's a clue as to the subject matter, but as we were just chatting before we started recording, it's not necessarily a film about snooker, is it? But there is snooker in it. Yeah, correct. Yeah, it's a film primarily about somebody triumphing against the odds. Really, it's your famous old tale of rags to riches. Um, somebody who against the odds triumphs with, with you know, from a, a poor, impoverished background, if you like, somebody that's born on a council estate. It kind of mirrors my own life in as much as I found acting. Um, and although I used to play snooker, I wasn't ever really a talented snooker player. I think my highest break back then was 52, but recently I've actually upped that to 67, uh, which yeah. I was over the moon with. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so the guy's um, a talented player. He's surrounded by a lot of stuff that we find very current in today's society, like drugs and knife crime, you know, a lot of the stuff that the youngsters are sadly getting involved with. 
And I always had this thing that, it, it, for me, it doesn't matter where you're from, what part of the tracks you're from, you know, you can always make something of your life. And that's kind of what Break is. It's about this, this guy's journey of trying to make use of the talents that he's got. Um, and this, this happens with the aid of a mentor, a character played by David Yip called Vincent Chiang, or Chang, actually, it's pronounced. Um, and it's, it's basically his journey. I think the best way to describe it is, is Karate Kid with a snooker cue. So although Karate Kid was primarily about Obviously, his journey as a, a karate um, student um, with Break is not really, as you say, a, a snooker film, but it, it snooker happens to be the backdrop. It happens to be this guy's potentially this guy's way out of, of his situation if he chooses to you know, use the talents that he's got. Yeah, I mean, you referenced the Karate Kid there and, and the film I, I thought about, I think people always think about in terms of sports films is Rocky, the sort of classic, you know, rags to riches and, and find, finding an outlet. But I guess the question is, why was it in, in the case of this film, why did you choose snooker as, as the way that he could sort of improve his life? Uh, well, I, I'd always, as a youngster, I grew up using a lot of uh, snooker halls. I mean, I think Jimmy White's one of the most famous that said he used to skip school all the time and spend all his mm. time around Mitchum in snooker halls. Um, and I was the same with that as that for, for quite a while. A lot of a few of my friends we used to skip school and we'd end up in either Tulse Hill, uh, West Norwood or Brixton Snooker Halls, which is where I grew up, Crystal Palace. We had several. They've all sadly closed down now, which is a shame, I think, because grassroots is where snooker is a sport. I'm, I think under Barry Hearn is going in a fantastic direction. But I think in grassroots, i.e. people walking to clubs, it's sort of suffered. But I was talking to a friend of mine. Um, about a player we knew that used to play in one of the clubs we used to go to. And he was an absolutely tremendous player. Rumour had it that he actually played, uh, I think it was Jimmy White, and, and, and beat him. Um, and everybody used to talk to this guy and go, why don't you turn pro? You know, why don't you go for it? But he was too busy being up to no good. <laughs> and you know, and it, it just always puzzled me how somebody with a talent would choose to do that. I know it's quite often an excuse people use when they come from certain backgrounds that, you know, they, they, that they had to choose a lot personally I don't I think with all options um, but this guy in particular had an option where he could have pursued a, you know a, a career in snooker because he was that good but never did and I think that's where the story started with the seed of this guy it started with an image in my head that we had this guy with a, a snooker queue in a dimly lit you know snooker, a, a snooker room um, surrounded by gangsters because a lot of these places years ago a lot of the snooker halls I used to go to certainly it was a hive of activity and characters. You'd have people sitting playing cards all day and piles of money on the table, um, gambling going on. And uh, it was just an array of characters. And, and I had this image of this guy standing there brandishing a snooker cue, which was ultimately his salvation, but branding it as, as a weapon, so ultimately using it wrong. Uh, and that was something that interested me. And I thought, what if we had this kid that, for whatever reason, didn't pursue his, his dreams? Or he was dragged back into a life of crime, but he had this talent. And snooker just seemed like a nice way to to get into some of the clubs because I've, I've always found them nice environments despite I've said with all the characters there wasn't really any any trouble winning it they were just a, a good array of characters and you always had these talented kids that came in that could play snooker and some of them make it some don't which I think is par for the course in any any sport or, or indeed in any um, career that somebody chooses yeah, Spencer Pride is, is the name of the main character, and he's, it's fair to say his life. You know, there's a, there's a lot of problems. He's, when the film starts, his father's in prison. There's a in the very early in the film, something pretty tragic happens to one of his friends. 
he's as you say he's, he's you know involved in drug dealing and, and, and a life that you know is probably going to he's gonna, probably going to follow his father into prison if he carries on the way he's going it's fair to say though he has to be sort of talked into um, following his snooker path doesn't he it's not something that even though he's talented at he's necessarily seeing as a career at the start of the film no, he isn't. Um, I think it's, it's a dream that he's long lost. And I think sometimes the early parts of your life can be, I th- it's only my belief, but I think a lot of the time, even as kids, a certain thing can happen in your life where you see that as a career option. You might not necessarily know it or you'll, ex- you'll ex- um, expose a talent that you have very early, early on in life. Quite often you don't get the opportunity to utilise that talent. As you go on in life, you know, it gets forgotten or you end up doing something else. I mean, how many times have you stood in a pub and someone said, I wish I'd have done that? Mm. And that's kind of me with acting. For years, I'd always wanted to do it. And it wasn't until 27, 28 years of age that I actually embarked, you know, on, on a career as trying to become an actor. Um, and it's something I'd always wanted to do. But I didn't think that someone from my background could do that. I didn't know how to get into it. And it was a chance meeting with another actor, um, a guy named Jeff Bell, that was in films like The Business. And he's done lots of lots of films now. He's, he's actually got a good career. I was chatting to him one day and he said, well, go and do it. And and I did. But a lot of people don't. A lot of people ignore that. And lots of people stand in pub wishing they'd done something. And I think that's kind of what I wanted to do with Spencer Pride. His character had this talent but didn't necessarily want to utilise, didn't want to push forward with it for whatever reason. There's all sorts of reasons that people, you know, hold back um it's for fear of failure uh you know some people just don't like of of maybe trying it and then failing and having people laugh at them um which is something for me even as an actor that i started out and people were you know you get jokes and stuff with friends and if if you tell them you've got a great audition coming up or there's a possible film part and when you don't get that film part you suddenly feel a bit like an idiot that you've got to go back to and say no i didn't get it Mm. then you do get ridiculed for that so i think there's a a point where with some people they don't follow their dreams because they worry about what will other people will say if they don't, you know, if they don't achieve them. Uh, yeah. So a manner of reasons. And I think in Spencer's case, a lot of that was peer pressure from his friends. Um, also that, that whole, well, you've, you've, you've seen the, the film, as you say, but the, the whole, um, the backdrop of it, i.e. the troubles that he has that gets him into maybe just dragging backwards out of that, that life that he could achieve. So there was all manner of obstacles for this kid. Yeah, and he's in pretty much every scene virtually. So obviously casting the the, the character Spencer was, was very important. I was very impressed with Sam Gissons, who, who plays him. How did you sort of come to cast him? Did you know him beforehand or was he auditioned? I, I did know him beforehand, to be honest. He, it, Sam was actually one of the first people I attached to the role. I, I was doing some, you know, I said I've done building work. I was doing some um work in painting and stuff in an office years ago in a call centre and a lot of out of work actors used to work there and Sam was one of them and I got chatting to him one day and it, it turned out we were from the same area he used to box for um, Elton Elton Boxing Club and he was actually a very good amateur Sam and we, we got chatting and as I was talking to him I, I, I basically just popped into my head because I'd written this script in about 2010 mm. and it sat in a drawer for years and when, when I saw Sam, I said, you know what? So I've just written something. You'd be perfect for it. He had the right amount. I mean, you've seen it. so And it's good of you to say that he was good in it because I honestly think he really, for a, for a young actor coming out, he really carries this film um, and mm. does a fantastic job. And he had the right amount of vulnerability, the, the right amount of cockiness, um, and was also very rough around the edges. So it was a nice balance for me. So he was the, the first person that I attached Um before anybody else, before we even had producers, and I'd sent in the script, he'd agreed to do it, and then was the long journey of trying to get it financed. And a lot of people actually, 
um, were running the film down saying, who wants to see a film about snooker? Um, <laughs> it's really frustrating for me. You know, it's like, I mean, I think of films like The Colour of Money, which I know was, was Paul. But it's mm. a big sports and it's, you know, you don't have to like Paul to be a fan of Martin Scorsese's The Colour of Money. It's yeah. a great film in its own right, and that's kind of what I wanted to do with this. And I think people were, a lot of people that maybe don't follow snooker were blinkered. But it's true what you say, this isn't just a, you know, a snooker film. Snooker's the backdrop. So hopefully we'll have fans you know, from the snooker scene, and hopefully fans, just everyday people that maybe wouldn't ordinarily engage with snooker, that will watch the film and go, actually, do you know what? I wouldn't mind picking up a queue and popping down the local snooker or having a few friends, because it's a great way to spend an afternoon and an evening. I used to love it. Yeah, but you did, of course you mentioned Sam obviously is the main actor in it. But excitingly, you got to work with a few snooker players as well. There are a few cameos in this. We've got uh, Jack Lazowski, Liang Wenbo, who seemed to really enjoy himself actually, and uh, Ken Doherty as well. Uh, what was it like uh, working with them, and how did you come to to sort of put them in the film? It was absolutely brilliant. You know what? When I first I, I tweeted about this film years ago, I was working <laughs> on the premise that if you build it, they will come. Mm-hmm. So I started tweeting about break going, new film coming soon. And I'd knocked up a poster um, and, I, and I made it look like the film was actually happening. And mm. Ken tweeted and went, this looks good. Let me know and I'll do a cameo. But I think he said it as a joke. <laughs> um, I screenshotted the tweet and about three years later, when we were looking like we were going, I sent him a screenshot of his tweet via Twitter and said, Ken, we're ready to go soon. I'm going to hold you to that cameo. <laughs> uh, and he messaged back and went, yeah, sure. He said, here's, here's, here's my number, all my contact details. Um, so he was the first one attached. And we shot, before we did the main body of the shoot, we shot at the Crucible, um, which we, we can go into in a minute how we got to be there if you want to. But for, for now, we got Ken. So he was the first one. And then we started looking at other players we could attach. And um, I think the producer, Dean Fisher, <laughs> Fung, uh, mm. who looks after, amongst others, Judd Trump, uh, Lucas Brazil, uh, Jack Lasowski, uh, Ollie Lyons. He's, he's got quite a few. And we spoke to him and, and we said, you know, we'd like to get Liang in there. And then also we said, maybe another one. Let's let's have Jack as well. But Liang, as you mentioned in particular, I think really did enjoy it because mm. I, I've got some fantastic behind. I, I don't know if we captured it on camera or, or, we, if, or if it was just real because we, it was between actual shoot. But he had to say a line at the table, and for whatever reason, something made him laugh, and he was absolutely hysterical and laying on the floor, rolling around. Bits of laughing. He's absolutely brilliant because uh, he's got quite a high-pitched voice as well. Mm. Uh, and when he was laughing, you could really his laugh was just cutting through the room, and it was infectious. We was all laughing, but yeah, he, he did enjoy it, and I think Jack did as well. And and um, and I, I mean, you've seen it. I think they were all really good as well. I think they they, they all did their parts really well. Yeah, and I think I'm right in saying as well, they also helped out, obviously, with the snooker sequences. You can't expect all the actors to be great snooker players. So the players, I guess, doubled at times in terms of the actual snooker. Yeah, they did. I mean, Jack was fantastic. We got him to do a, to, to clear the table um, in one scene, um, which we obviously shot in close-up, as if our main actor, Sam Gittin, Spencer Pride, was, was playing the shots. Um, and we also got Liang to play some at a separate location on a different day. Um, Ken didn't actually get to plan his shots for us, but mm-hmm. but yeah, no, Jack was fantastic, and, and we've got some stuff behind the scenes as well. We where we've um, we've got them doing a few trick shots. Um, and Lang's, Lang's one was fantastic. I don't know what you'd call a trick shot, but he basically spotted the white in the centre of the D and put the black directly opposite on the cushion, you know, at the bottom of the mm-hmm. table. And from there, with a certain amount of, I suppose it would be bottom side spin, um, he potted it in the bottom left corner. 
hmm. which was just to, I mean, to say it over the, you know, how we're talking now, probably you probably can't, you can't appreciate it, but it was, it was such a fantastic, and he did it first time, <laughs> he did it three other times after, and it's just, you really see the golfing class that anyone who thinks they can play, when you get these guys into a room, you see, you know, how, how easy it is for them. I mean, I, I don't mean that as a dismissive, I know they practice and put a hell of a lot of time in, um, but but it, it really is, it's, it's fantastic to watch them. But I think, yeah, you, you're right about the snooker player with regards Sam, um, and, and the other players, they're actors, essentially. So you are going to probably get um, some snooker purists who go, oh, he does, he's not on the cue, oh, that's ridiculous, he's, you know, he's not very good. But they're actors. And if you'd have just gone for a snooker player, they couldn't carry the film in an acting mm. sense. So it's, it's OK for people to criticise, which we've already had a couple, actually, on the uh, basis of the trailer saying, you know, he doesn't look like he can hold the cue. And, uh, you know, how, how a professional would. And it's like, well, no, he's not a professional, he's an actor. You know, Tom Cruise is not really a fighter pilot. Uh, <laughs> so... I think people will have to get over that, but I think as a, as a standalone film with a backdrop of Snooker, I, th- I think it's a, a good film to watch. I really do, even though I've been involved in it, so I might be biased. But. <laughs> well, you mentioned, uh, Michael, of course, you say The, the Crucible, you film there, um, which I think gives it authenticity, obviously, because everyone knows that's the one venue everybody knows. So how did that happen? Because that's quite a prestigious thing. You didn't just film there. You filmed there before, I think, the World Championship final. We did just before um, uh, Higgins and... Uh, Mark Williams. Mm. Um, it was it was amazing to be honest with you. We we couldn't believe it. It was a fantastic place to, to be in. It's so it's so iconic. We we contacted Ivan Hershowitz um, from Matchroom and early doors, and we ended up having a meeting with Barry Hearn, who was very supportive and said, Yeah, you know what, you can have the um you, you can, you know, Ivan facilitated a lot of it for us and said, you can shoot at the crucible, but you have to be in and out. So we had a certain certain time slot, which put us up against it time wise. But, um, I mean, as you say, it was wonderful to film there. It really was amazing. And it really does give the film a lot of authenticity to actually go into the Crucible and do that. So, really, it was thanks to the guys at Matrim who have been so supportive of this. Um, All of them, you know, Ivan and Barry Hearn as well, in particular, has has been amazing. Um, And I think that's... When you approach people like that and you're doing a film about their sport, it can go, you know, one of two ways. They can show no interest and say, no, you know, we're not interested in films. Or they can be supportive, which is what they've done, I think, which is amazing for us. It really mm. and allow us to shoot there. It just was. It really does, I think, elevate the film in terms of for a, a low-budget independent British film to be able to shoot there. It just gives us some massive uh, production values. We should say as well that we've talked about the various players that are in it. There's a very, very well-known actor in this. Rutger Hauer is in it. Of sadly passed away last year. But how did you end up with him in the film? Because that's uh, that's quite a coup. It is. Yeah, we 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 were approaching. For his role, we approached quite a few big name actors in, in the early days. Um, and we had another actor, it's pointless me mentioning now, but another big actor as well that said yes to the role. And then when we came round to finally finance, he was uh, contracted elsewhere. So our casting director, Kate Planting, put a, a breakdown out. And some of the agents come back with suggestions and we were looking for all these, you know, good good acting names. And all of a sudden, as we were flicking through the photos and the submissions, Rutger Howe was there. And we all sort of looked at each other and went, really? <laughs> Really? Would he do this? And they said, well, he's, he's, you know, his agent's putting forward. Let's let's try it. So we basically called back and said, look, we'd love Rutger to do this. Um, do you think he'd be interested? And the first thing he said was, you know, Michael's a first time director, which I am, um, and I'd need to see the script. So we sent in the script and it came back after about a week that he'd read it. He liked it. 
Um, and he was he, he was happy to do it, but he needed to talk to me. So I had to have several calls um, over the phone. I think uh, on the flash, I think it was um, either WhatsApp calls or Skype calls, but we were videoing anyway. So we were chatting to each other, and just having a little bit of a chat about the scripts, with how he, how um, what my vision of the film was, and, and his role, and his back on Sunday, in the end, we have a call where we just chat about everyday life and laugh and joke. And then all of a sudden it came back round to it. And I said, Rucker, are you going to do this film or not? Because we've seen, we seem to have gone off on a tangent chatting about other stuff. And he said, well, I don't know. <laughs> uh, which was really frustrating. I thought, no, I thought we were getting somewhere. So I basically just put it on the spot. I said, Rucker, please, listen, I'm not going to ruin this film. You know, it's, it, it will be a nice film to be involved in. Please just say yes. And he, he took a beat and then he just, yeah, OK, I'll do it. So, and it was as simple as that. He, he agreed, and, and uh, that was it. I put the phone down. I think I was on cloud nine after putting the phone down. I couldn't believe me luck. Well, I was going to say, for your first film, um, you know, to get someone like that, if you've gone and watching Blade Runner and all, the, and all the rest, that's quite something. I mean, I guess that, 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 but that must have persuaded you, right, I've really got to make sure I do this well, because we've now got a serious name attached to it. Yeah, it does. It certainly does add a little bit of pressure. Um it really does. But then, to be honest, I think because it had been such a, a passion project, I mean, from the time I wrote it, it's taken over 10 years I've had it, you know. And I wasn't pushing that whole time, admittedly, for, for quite a long time. It was just sat in a drawer. Um, but it certainly, from when I started to push it out there, it took about five, six years to actually get made, to get the money and then, and then to get done. So I think the, the pressure was on me anyway after all that time to to not mess it up. I mean, obviously, people are making their own opinions up when they see the film, but I don't think I have. Um, I'm pleased with it. I think anyone who says they're completely happy and anything's perfect would be lying. So there would certainly be, with money permitting, time permitting, um, and with hindsight, that there'd be things that I might change or tweak. But overall, I'm very happy with it. Um, and I think, yeah, the pressure was there, certainly, with regards to the whole thing. Mum, just lost you briefly, Michael. I hope you can still hear me. Um, yes, I, can. That's fine. All right. Now, I should explain that I am in the, I'm at the World Championship Qualifiers, which start tomorrow, and I'm in a hotel, and the Wi-Fi is not great, but I think I think we just got that. Um, I was going to ask, I mean, you, you know, you, your first-time uh, director, obviously you come from an acting background. The process of getting a film made, I think, to the outside world is quite mysterious. Maybe most people don't even think about how films get made. But obviously, you, you need a lot of people. You need money to, to put it all together. Um, where do you even start? You, okay, you've written the script. Where do you go with it? And how do you how do you end up with a film that's actually finished? Well, yeah, uh, that's a good question. <laughs> I think <laughs> to, this, to, to this day, David, like, I'm not sure I even know how we got here, to be honest with you. Um, but basically, as I say, I put it out there that this was happening. And one of the other people I approached later on was an actress called Terry Dwyer, mm. um, who many people might know from Hollyoaks. She used to do 60-minute makeover as well, so she crossed into presenting. But I, I read on her tweets that she was looking to get back into acting. So I, I started looking back and thinking about it. So I searched a few of her roles on um, YouTube again and just to, to refresh myself. I knew who she was. I was well aware of who she was. Um, 
And then I thought, actually, she'd be really good playing Spencer Pride's mum. So I approached her and said, do you want to read the script? I've got a role you might be interested in. Anyway, cut a long story short, she was interested. We met in London to talk about the film, and she asked me, how much money have you got to make this film, and, and when, when are we starting? To which I replied, um, well, I've got absolutely no money, um, no producers, I've got nothing. I've just got you and a couple of actors attached. Um, so then I asked her, would you be happy to produce it? I said, you probably know a lot more people on that side of things than I do um, and she luckily agreed and then she introduced me to Dean Fisher who's another producer that she'd worked with in the past and it really started from there I mean I'd, I'd approached a couple of financiers before I even approached them but, but a lot of them were telling me to get rid of Sam Gittins um, mm. and saying you know get an, a named actor I think Taron Edgerton's name was banded about a few times and, and I was always of the opinion that if you're going to you know, start a film like this, why not give a young up-and-coming actor a chance? If Because people didn't want to give me a chance. A few people said to me, I can produce this film for you, I can get the money, but you can't direct it. Um, mm. Because no one knows you as a director. So I think I had to get quite precious then and quite tight with it and say, no, I'm not letting go of the script because it will descend into something I don't want, which is, it could have ended up being a shout, it's like a, no disrespect, but like a, a soap opera, like, a, like an EastEnders type of shout mm. script other and you know a working class cockney sort of drama which i didn't want and i could see that in if it was out of my hands i couldn't control that i wanted to make something well, close to what i've made so i think that was um the process then we eventually we found a broker who, who basically finds money for people uh, they charge percentage for their you know for their outlay because it costs them to, to put breakdowns out and to try and mm. people in and we basically use them to source money we use some private equity investors of our own that we met and put in the you know bulletins out and to investors and once you start to get a bit of money you have to keep making videos making appeals to people and saying look we're trying to make this film we've got this name attached once we got Rutger Hauer um, we were about two-thirds I think and it had taken us about six months to get that once we started going out to financiers once we got Rutger I think the rest of the money all came within about a month Mm. so having him on board certainly adds a lot of credibility to the project which is all great and you've got it made but of course the problem is it's coming out at a time where cinemas are essentially closed um we, we know the reasons why all the, all the lockdown and everything i think they are sort of opening up soon but it's obviously a very difficult time for cinemas so how are people actually going to get the chance to see the film well we're at, we've actually on the 22nd which is in two days time of this month we're actually holding a drive-in uh, cinema event at the Brent Cross Shopping Centre. Tickets are available on our website at breakfilms.co.uk um, and you can just sign up, register for a ticket and the tickets are actually free. Um, so people can just come down in their car, one, two, three, four of them in a car if they want to. Tickets are free. Um, there will be a red carpet. There will be press covering it. We've got, I believe, ITV coming down. Um, Sky, I think, are coming down. And we've got some people from Good Morning Britain as well covering the event. So there will be a, a host of a few familiar names from TV, film and music as well in attendance. So people will be able to see the red carpet interviews um, and, and then after watch the film. And after that, we've got a DJ plan as well. So we're trying to make the best of the, as you say, the COVID-19 situation and, and make it a nice, fun event for people to come down and view the film. It is unfortunate that cinemas are not open. Um, but there really isn't a lot we can do about that, so we've just had to go with what we can. And I think it should be a fun evening, as long as we get the weather, which we look like might be fixed. Um, so they can see it there. The film is then released digitally um, and DVD on the 31st of August. Mm. But I think you can actually pre-order uh, pre DVDs now. I think it's up on HMV and different sites, uh, Apple, 
um, iTunes uh, will be out then as well. But we hope after this we're going to we're actually going to Sheffield, and the film will be again a driving at the Don Valley. Right. And that will be on the 1st and 2nd of August, so still during the tournament and at mm. the evening, hopefully, uh, we'll be able to hook up with a few of the uh, snooker players afterwards, uh, maybe at a bar somewhere, let's see. <laughs> Brilliant. And and has this experience of, of making this film persuaded you you want to do another one? or? Uh, you, you know, because you've sort of shifted from acting to directing, is that something you want to do more of now? Yeah, definitely. I think um, I still I, look. I still love acting. I'll still take roles if they come up, um, but it's not something I'm pushing for as much as I used to. I think for me now, I have fallen in love with not just the directing, but the the writing side of things. I really like um, you know the script process, um, coming up with ideas. And I've actually got two or three projects um, that are pretty much finished at the moment that I'm going to start pitching to people and try to get out there and try and get some financiers and and also TV companies interested because one of them's a, a series, an ongoing series. Uh, much in the vein of, say, an English sort of Sopranos. Um, so, yeah, I think definitely I will be pushing to to write and direct more more stuff now. Um, it was a hard task, um, and it's certainly not for the faint-hearted. We had a, it was a big problems coming. We had lots of hurdles, lots of things to overcome. And then, as you as you've mentioned, the uh, we had a pandemic thrown at us as well just <laughs> before we were about to release and have a West End premiere. Um, mm. So, yeah, it's, it's certainly been a a testing time. But it hasn't put me off. There, there will be um, hopefully more from me once this comes out. Hopefully people will give me another chance to do some more stuff and put the, their faith in me. Good. Well, just give us the website again, Michael, so people can go there if they want tickets. Okay. So www.breakfilms.co.uk. And if you go on there, there's a link to register, which you'll have to do through Eventbrite. And you just register for a ticket. If you if there's if there's just one car coming, even if there's four of you in there, just register for one ticket and the four of you come in one car. Obviously, if there's eight of you coming and you're bringing two cars, then register for two tickets. But the tickets are free. They are running out fast. Um, but if people want to come and, and, and see the film, there, there is still time to, to grab a ticket and there's still some left. Excellent. Well, uh, just to say, I think it, uh, our chat did cut out a couple of times just because of the Wi-Fi, but hopefully 99% of it uh, will go through. Michael, thanks for joining us on the podcast and I wish you all the best for your film. Thank you, David. Great to talk to you. Thanks. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.